Welcome to One Symphony, a podcast that explores classical music's relevance in our modern lives. I'm conductor Devin Patrick Hughes, and I'm here to share with you stories and conversations with musicians, composers, and artistic entrepreneurs that aim to unite us into one symphonic world. Internationally acclaimed guitar virtuoso Trace Bundy's music is poetry in motion, using harmonics, looping, multiple capos, and his unique banter and stage presence to deliver an unforgettable live concert experience. Seeing the fan-dubbed Acoustic Ninja play live confounds even the most accomplished music lovers as to how one person can do all that with just two hands and ten fingers. Bundy's unique career has brought him across the world with concerts in 28 countries and counting, from performance halls of South Korea and Italy to remote villages in Zimbabwe and Guatemala. He has independently sold over 150,000 albums on his record label, Honest Ninja Music. His video clips circulate virally at astonishing speed with over 45 million YouTube views to date. Trace, it's so awesome to have you as a guest on One Symphony today. I'd love to start asking you, about Pachelbel's Canon in D. This is the piece that you were sort of discovered with on YouTube more than 10 years ago. Can you talk about the significance of that piece of music in your life and what drew you to it? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I wrote this many years ago and it was right at the beginning of me kind of getting into this like two-handed tapping technique where I would, you know, my, my hands, I was got kind of better at separating them on the guitar. So that instead of just strumming with one hand and hitting the frets with the other hand, I could, you know, play a melody with one hand, bass line with the other hand. And I started messing around with that. And all of a sudden I was like, hey, this could really work for, you know, such a classic song like, like Pachelbel's Canon. And so a, a, a video of that ended up on YouTube. And, and uh, actually this was all before YouTube. So like there was like, kind of clips floating around like different chat rooms and things like that and then when you know youtube started up and it was like not saturated with like tons of videos at that point and so this video started going viral a bit and different versions of it and different people posting from different concerts and it was it definitely was one of the songs that helped kind of launch my career He's like Canon and D and, and so many composers, this is like 1600s, right? This is like Baroque music, like Bach and composers that were living in that time and writing in that time. Many of them were forgotten and then they were discovered in like the 1900s. And it's really amazing because a lot of that music forms the basis of not only sort of Western harmony and everything that has come out of that, but the basis for a lot of pop songs. Uh, you know, these yeah. simple chord changes um, that are so universal in how they're felt and how they're shared. Can you talk about the use of that maybe in music, but also in, in your own music? 
Pachelbel's canon in, in general. I I think if you were to go and search the internet for like pop songs that use the same chord progression or like a slightly modified version of the chord progression, they're everywhere. Like I was just the other day listening to a, a blues traveler song called a uh, hook, I think. Yeah. And it's like, they changed one note of, of the, they made one of the minor chords major. And then it's like the whole song, it's, it's Pachelbel's canon basically. And, and it's just completely, I mean, whatever Pachelbel was doing at the time, like he, he nailed this chord progression and, and everyone loves it. And, and, um, and then it's funny cause like he, he wrote a lot of other stuff, but no one really knows much of his other music at all. So he was kind of the original one hit wonder in my opinion, but. So in addition to your music that you, you create, you have some very famous and well-known covers of, of pieces, including pieces like Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, I've done some Beatles stuff, you've done some U2 stuff, Guns N' Roses. Can you talk about how those covers influenced some of your original music and I guess kind of what came first as a, were you a composer or performer from, from when you started when you were 10? what you know what came first would probably be just me learning other people's songs like the first song i ever learned was by metallica and each time you learn someone else's music you pick up a new technique or a new you know chord change or chord shape or sound or melody and then you do that enough all of a sudden ideas start popping in your own head and then i started you know when i was i don't know kind of in early high school started writing a lot of my own music and certainly influenced by everything that i'd heard up to that point and and then you know you you kind of take those techniques and then reapply those to maybe a classic cover song and so you know, playing Pachelbel's can with two hands and or trying to capture all of the energy and all of the parts of Where the Streets Have No Name by U2, but just on one acoustic guitar. And so I, I always, when I approach a song, I'm trying to think, how can I take this song and totally do something unique with it and make it my own, but, but still have that underlying melody and that kind of classic sound to it. And I think it seems like in music history that 
a lot of the great composers, and I'm I'm thinking just for example of Johannes Brahms. He went to the Schumanns, you know, when he was like 18 or 19 years old, and he was a pianist and playing music on the piano. And and Schumann, you know, who was losing his mind also at the time, came up behind him and tapped him on the shoulder and said, "Your music yearns for an orchestra," you know. So so yeah. so there's like this this movement towards always when and even Beethoven like probably would have utilized a rock band today as well if he was writing today and same <laughs> with Mozart so there's like this this yearning to ha- make your music more colorful uh, make it bigger make it uh, something that didn't come before kind of create new genres out of out of music and for you you know when we're talking about orchestras but also a bigger sound you're so well known for your your percussive effects for you know expanding the range like drop d tuning uh, of of what is is possible on a guitar essentially becoming like a one man band can you talk about how that style and desire evolved in your performing and your composing i i think one reason that it evolved was because i have a terrible singing voice <laughs> And I, I thought growing up that you had to be a great singer to be a great musician because, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of examples of, of kind of a one person artist or, you know, that, that can't sing. And, and really it's terrible. And so I always thought that was my curse. And, but what I've realized over time, you know, that curse in a way became a blessing in disguise because I put all of my energy into playing guitar. And if I couldn't sing the melody, I could play the melody. And in order to do that and make it work on one guitar, you also have to be playing the, the, the chord progression at the same time. And maybe, maybe you want a beat though going. So then you, you try to work in a beat at the same time. And then there's other like harmonies and and different things that, that you want to work in there. And so that the whole, kind of basis of finger style guitar in a way is is to try to have one guitar sing on its own with all of the different parts um and so that's that's always kind of become my goal when i write these songs is that you know there's it it ideally may sound like three guitars playing at once that's kind of a a goal in a way you know because you're hearing this beat going and you're like oh where's that coming from and kind of break it down and that's maybe I'm playing with the palm of my hand or my thumb at the same time as the melody and the chord progression. And that's where you got the name Acoustic Ninja. Can you talk about the origin of that name? It's really funny because I never, never once intended for anyone to refer to me as the Acoustic Ninja. I wrote a song years ago and my songs, again, they don't have lyrics, right? So I have to come up with a name for these songs that's based on whatever I'm feeling or something maybe that inspired the song, but there's not like, I can't just take the chorus of the song and pull 
you know, the hook from the chorus and make that the, the title of my song because I don't have lyrics in the choruses of my songs. And so I, I you know, I was made this little album and I had to come up with a name for a song. So I thought, hey, Acoustic Ninja, that's a cool name. You know, it doesn't really make sense. And that's what's kind of fun about it. Ninjas can't really be acoustic, right? And so I named a song that, and for years it was, you know, just kind of that, that's what it was. And then quite a while ago, a newspaper wrote an article about me and it was titled Attack of the Acoustic Ninja. And it was the first time someone referred to me as that. And I was like, wait, wait, no, no, I'm not the acoustic ninja. The song is, you know, but it, it kind of stuck and more and more people started using that. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm going on a, a China tour this uh uh, November, I, I play in China quite a bit, and they just sent me the poster, and it says Trace Bundy, Acoustic Ninja, and and it's just funny how that evolved into being like a title for myself. But it's kind of fun. I don't know. <laughs> It's awesome. And I'd say it's highly reflective of what your abilities are able to convey. <laughs> as long as we're talking about labeling, there's a movement or there's a, a branding in music history, at least in the classical music side, to label music programmatic versus absolute. So either music is about something like a program, or it is absolute. It exists without knowing any words hmm. or literary associations or, you know, it's about like bristlecone, you know, it's about the, the nature and, and, and the wilderness and the mountains and the trees. And so absolute music would, would say, and there were, there were major brawls and, and, and uh, uh, <laughs> one can't verse the other that, that music had to have a program or music had to just exist uh, unto its own purpose. And so for you, as someone who doesn't sing, and you're creating a sort of absolute music, but you're also known for having these concert experiences where you're telling the story, you're going behind the creative process, you're creating all these extra musical illusions to draw the audience in. And you talked about how uh, you experienced David Wilcox and he, he wove these stories into the songs. Can you talk about how that concert experience, uh, how you started kind of creating that and maybe the importance of artists across all genres to have that connection to their audience? Yeah, I think having a connection and an interaction with your audience is, for me, it's it's as important as the songs themselves in some ways, because you, know, you can always, if there's an artist you like, you can always put on their album at home on a nice sound system and just listen, right? But if you're going to go pay money to see someone play, I think you should kind of get a little glimpse into like what they're about, but also, you know, laugh with them, maybe cry with them, maybe, maybe learn more about their stories and have them interact with you. And maybe they get to know the audience a little bit at the same time. And I just think that that's a beautiful thing. And, and so like, I, I put a lot of <laughs> time and effort into what happens in between the songs, as well as, you know, of course, the songs themselves. But I think, um, yeah, I think that, you know, music, you're talking about like the absolute music or, you know, like even if it doesn't have a story that goes along with it, you know, music just 
conveys so many emotions. And so um, like I'm going to be playing a song called Joy and Sorrow that switches back and forth between a major key and a minor key on two different guitars that are tuned differently. And, and it's just this emotion of, of these, these um, opposites coming together and, you know, and, one part of the song you might be like relating to like that joy and then all of a sudden it changes and you're relating to like the sorrow and maybe you remember someone who passed away or something but you, then you remember a, a memory about them and that brings a smile to your face and i don't know i love it i love how you know the music itself but also the performer combined can take an audience on on a journey throughout the concert had another career and another life as a civil engineer, as a professor, as a rock climbing teacher and a backpacking guru. Can you talk about how that life crossed over to music and how that influenced some of your music? It is kind of a crazy journey when I look back. <laughs> uh, I, I've always had this sense that, you know, from just thinking about how reality works with the, with the arts like it is very hard to make it in the arts and and so i always had the sense like i'm going to pursue music as a hobby <laughs> and do that as well as i can and have as much fun with it as i can but i'm not going to give up everything else and put all my eggs in that basket and quit my job and you know try to like make it as a full-time musician if I, if it wasn't you know at that point and so I went to, you know, college for civil engineering and I graduated uh, at CU undergrad and then I, I was really into rock climbing and the outdoors. And so, yeah, I, I taught ice climbing, I, climbing waterfalls with ice, ice axes and, you know, going up and down the third flat irons and I guided all these trips and, and had a great time with that. Loved it. Did that for about two years and then the university kind of tracked me down and said, hey, we want you to come back, go to grad school. They, they liked the grades that I had gotten because <laughs> I did well. And they had this really amazing, you know, offer to me. So yeah, I went back to grad school and I enjoyed that so much better. Uh, graduated with that. And then they asked me if I could teach some classes. And so I became this like adjunct professor at CU. And during that time is when my music started really taking off. And I started getting offers to play different places all around the country. And then I start noticing all these fans from overseas contacting me and 
and I would, you know, fly away on these these quick trips on the weekend and try to fly back for school so I could teach my my class, you know. And uh, it just got kind of crazy. So I did the math like a good engineering student would. I I, I made a spreadsheet and I said, okay, if I, I pursue these shows that I'm in these offers that I'm getting, or if I do, you know, continue to teach, you know, what's, what's going to work out. And I really made like an educated choice on, on this. And, and I, I like that. And I try to encourage a lot of other, you know, musicians who are starting out, like be smart about it, pursue it with passion, with excellence, but don't assume it's going to work out in the way you want it to. And so always have a backup plan and but still, all those things that I love doing influence my music. You know, I, I had a, a rock climbing accident where I literally almost died. And that influenced a song that I, that I play now sometimes. And, and Bristlecone was based on me finding these bristlecone trees way up by tree line, you know, up, up on mountains. And all those experiences certainly would influence uh, the music that I wrote. How did that accident influence your, your song and what song was that? I wrote a song after that called Traverse and Traverse kind of, you know, this, this rock climbing, just traversing along a mountain cliff and, and the song seems to kind of traverse through these different melodies and, and this accident was life-changing. Like I, I, you know, I fell off of a 120 foot cliff because of uh, some, some miscommunication with the belayer down below. I was at the top and I was asking to be lowered down to kind of end the day and, to, you know, to leave. And the belayer thought I was going to do something different and he unclipped the rope and walked away. So right as I stepped off this uh, 120 foot cliff, there was no one at the bottom holding the rope anymore. And I, so I fell, I landed on a, I landed halfway down on this tiny ledge. So I fell 60 feet and landed on a ledge that I never should have even hit. And so anyways, your, your perspective on life, sometimes changes when things like that happen and, and you, you never take anything for granted at that point. And so every moment, you know, I try to cherish, I try to celebrate and live to the fullest. And yeah, I think that influences a lot of things. Was it falling that 60 feet? Was that kind of how one would expect? You know, did, did that, did you have any kind of thoughts during that time or kind of, you know, last minute revelations? I remember it happening so fast, you know, because even though it's 60 feet, it's like, and then ev the, everything's moving in front of you. The cliff is moving like super fast. Uh, I remember the air kind of rushing past me and I, 
I don't remember having hardly any thoughts except like, like this was not supposed to happen. Like this is not, it was one of those moments in life where something so drastic happens that's outside of the norm that you're like, this is not, this is not right. You know? And I eventually hit that ledge and I don't know if I kind of was knocked out for a little bit, but I remember taking this big breath of air and maybe kind of thinking like, what, what is, what is that? Like, that's, that's a breath of air. That's a good sign. <laughs> and I remember opening my eyes and I just at first saw the color blue and I realized I was looking up at just this beautiful blue sky. And then I like slowly started wiggling my fingers and wiggling my toes and it was like, I'm pretty sure I'm alive. Like I, <laughs> that's also a good sign. And, and I then kind of reached my hand over and I could feel that like the edge of the cliff just drop off right next to me. And then my hearing kind of came back and I could hear the guy below me, another kind of 60 feet down r- yelling, you know, cause he, I guess, looked up right as he saw me just fall off the cliff. And then, so he ran back over to the rope, connected it. And then I, I laid up there for quite a while until I was able to like kind of let him lower me to the ground. And I, I, I actually got out of there that day with very minor injuries. I mean, the whole thing is just <laughs> really crazy. And you would say that's the pivotal moment in your life. One of them for sure. Yeah. That really, really impacted me. It's amazing. So I'm, I'm really interested in the kind of cross pollination between different genres and I know you've had some experience working with orchestras. You have some arrangements being made by John Clay Allen and the Boulder Symphony. I would love for you to kind of reflect and and just kind of talk about your experience kind of going outside of the box of being this solo orchestra, essentially, and bringing in a new orchestra into your world. It's been an incredible experience. The orchestras I've worked with in the past, I've worked with two other ones, one in Nebraska and one in uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And there wasn't as much working together and having a a composer arrange the music. Like they, they would try to find music that was already arranged and I would try to fit with that. And this has been a way, way more interesting and cool experience of working with Clay because, uh, all these songs from scratch, you know, he took them and and arranged all of the the string parts for them and did an awesome job with that. And then I would, you know, I, he would either watch a video of me playing or listen to an audio of me playing and then very quickly transcribe out what I was doing, which would take me, you know, it takes me a long time to do that myself, but oh, it's just amazing. Like he would send me these parts and there were there were literal moments where I would start crying. Like I'm like, this is this is amazing. Like, how do you, you know? How did you come up with this? How to, to bring so much emotion into these parts that I've always wanted to try with my guitar to, to to bring it to this certain emotional level, and then to have him you know back that up perfectly with all these string parts. Oh, it's great. In your music, you have a lot of what I would call cross rhythms, and I think that's that's you know that's what rock music does that's what a, a lot of folk music does um kind of in its nature but but you can accomplish this as a as an artist because of your 
kind of one man band approach because your percussion that, that you have, you know, kind of a two rhythm against a three pattern sometimes. And, 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 you know, maybe you can talk about a specific song and, and how this came about, but I would love for you to talk about that, about how, you know, we would call it like, you know, rhythmic, you know, mixed meter or something like that, where you're really playing with the audience's expectations. You know, you're giving them a piece that's clearly in a four, four time signature, a pretty standard common time. And then you're throwing in cross rhythms in there. Can you talk about like your approach or philosophy in terms of mixing up the rhythm? My general approach is always to um, take kind of the, the normal rules of music and try to do something outside of that, something a little bit different but still have it sound good, <laughs> still have it be accessible to the audience, but always ha- try to have some musical creative idea going on. And so like one of the songs, I put on a delay effect. I put on this echo mm-hmm. and the echo is fixed, a fixed tempo. And normally when you have an echo going, you it locks you into that tempo as well, you know, naturally. Um, so what what I do in the song over time is I, I try to play the guitar at one and a half times the speed of the echo. And so it ends up, you know, you start, you kind of start by hearing the echo and you get into that groove, but then when the guitar starts playing one and a half times the speed of that, then all of a sudden this new pattern comes about and it creates this new feel. And maybe it would take the audience just a, a quick second to adjust to that. And then I love that. I love to, to try to get, you know, establish one thing in the minds of the audience and the listener, and then slowly change it in a way that still works, but then it all of a sudden, like, oh, wow, that's, that's different. ago got back into rock climbing after not doing it for years and years i think after the accident you know i just lost some of the passion for that but i've recently gotten back into it more in an indoor gym because that's a little safer now and you know i do do have a family i want to be careful i have these like long fingernails on my right hand for guitar playing and that doesn't go as well with rock climbing so anyway i don't know i just think life is you know more exciting if you if you try to pursue excellence in the things that you do. And that it doesn't have to be for everything. You know, there's some things that it's just nice to, to not try to, you know, excel at or anything like that. But it's not even about excelling. It's just pursuing with excellence and with passion. And I think, you know, when you look back over, over your life, you know, the, the things that you remember are, are those moments 
and those those things that you did that that had passion behind them and that's that's what you know like i think leads to a, a rich life of 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 joy in a way so yeah here here trace well thank you so much for joining <laughs> me on one symphony it's been a pleasure speaking with you and i'm looking forward to our collaborations with excellence yes with excellence to excellence thanks devin this is great great chatting with you as well this has been fun Thank you for joining us on One Symphony. Thanks to Trace Bundy for sharing his music and story. You can find his music wherever you listen. And he's playing live in concert with Boulder Symphony this Friday night at Boulder Theater. Works on the show today include music written and performed by Trace Bundy, U2, and Paco Bell from the albums Elephant King and Adapt. Thanks to Honest Ninja Music for making this episode possible. You can always find more info at onesymphony.org, including a virtual tip jar if you'd like to support the show. Thank you to Johnson & Stories, Suerte Tequila, and Chuck and Margaret Porter for making this episode possible. Feel free to rate, review, or share the show. Until next time, thank you for being a part of the music. <laughs>